0: Greetings, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ. The time has come. (laughs) Uh, We will be looking at Revelation this morning, as I had uh, mentioned about, and I don't know if it's something that intrigues you or interests you, but... I sense that a little bit, just, and I, it's humbling to have you as a church pray for one of us as leaders, and I just want to thank each of you for that. It's not so much what I have to say this morning. I have the responsibility of trying to explain the Word of God to you, but I want to leave that a lot with you, and not so much giving you my opinions and my things of what we have in Revelation just a couple quick things to get uh, out of the way. First of all, it does not have a letter S at the end. If any of you are really picky or concerned about that, it is the book of Revelation. Some people would get uh, um, not all fired up about it, but it's only one revelation. There's not multiple. So if you say the book of Revelations, you might confuse somebody. But wanted to make that clear. You'll probably, uh, some of these things you say, you almost remember the rest of your life. So that's why I thought, well, I'll just give that to you. And uh, the other thing was how to um, go about with an introduction and and what to do uh, as we start in on the book of Revelation. And I have uh, a handout to give to you. And I'm not sure where the ushers are. I see one there. Um, If you could come, two ushers could come forward and hand these out to everybody. I made somewhere around 50 copies, and I think each of the adults should be able to uh, um, have one. If you run out, I'll print more. If there's plenty, just lay them in the back or give them back to me then. And the reason for this paper is is because I don't know what you know about Revelation and what you might be expecting. Many books have been written, many things have been said. In some ways I could just say, here, look at this resource, check this out, do it yourself. But that is... Uh, as we get into here a little bit, not what the intentions are for the book of Revelation. Yes, you can study it yourself, but when we get into verse 3, there's some, some ideas and some things that we see here. And I wanted to, just at the onset, give you very basic things about it. Whether they're basic or not, I don't know, but you've got to start somewhere. And uh, just a note to you ushers, I forgot my own paper, so if I could take one sometime, I don't know if there's any left. I had mine at home that had some things in rearranging it. Well, no, I don't want to take that one long. I need the one that I printed, and I forgot to keep it. But I want to go over that uh, paper very quickly. It won't take much time at all. And it's for you to keep and basically for reference so you know some of these things that um, we might talk about. And I don't know if i will be any more later on. And the order of these doesn't really matter. You're going to see there's on the front and the back. But the book of Revelation is highly numerical. In, uh, the numbers are there. And so I quickly pulled from... I don't have it on here. Online was a uh, BibleStudy.org or a, a website that had given me these. I, I had difficulty finding the meaning for numbers, each individual number, through the traditional resources. And maybe I missed it too, but I don't always like to go online, but in this case I did. And so you can see there uh, the numbers 1 through 20 and what they represent. And the references given were good in why they gave their reasoning for what the number would mean, and just a very um, and this is through the Bible, not just in Revelation, but just take the number eight for for instance. Uh, they they always wondered why uh, Noah and his sons and wives that made a number eight, and through all the things they come up with, that uh, they say. Eight just keeps coming around that it's it's a new beginning or a, a something new coming along. And so that's what they put down there. And interestingly there, you see it says the word or creation. That doesn't mean that something new was actually made. But if you understand the word a new order or creation, it's like something new taking place. But uh, if you study these numbers, you, you can find multiple examples of why these numbers say what they do. And so I just compiled this list here for reference because uh, going down to some observations, and I'm not even sure why I really put them in there, but it was a few that I just uh, had jotted down and I put them in there, but um, we're going to run into the word blessed seven times, and Another uh, comment here I found, it says, an average of one in five verses contain a number. And that puts a little more weight back to the, to the meaning of numbers because there's, there's a lot of them. About if you just take uh, the average about every five verses, you're going to have um, a number given. And it says seven is the most common number. Uh, it's given over 50 sometimes, but three is the second most common and then the last one there, as you take the wording for what it says, uh, John saw and heard the vision. Now I just put those two together because we think of the the vision or what he took in was all just through his eyes. But numerous times here we're going to say we're going to find a reading that he heard this, he heard that, and I just wanted to point this out that it's not all just seeing. There was actually hearing uh, taking place as well. Which for me it's not. Too hard, I should say, to catch some of those things when we think about hearing, as you all know. So just a couple definitions. If you never heard of eschatology, that is basically a big word that talks about end times, as it's given here, a branch of theology concerned with the final events in the history of the world or of mankind. I'm not so sure as it's a scriptural term, but nonetheless that word is used when you refer to end times uh, through discussions or talking with people. Turn the page over, we have prophecy. In case you didn't know what prophecy is, um, that comes right from the dictionary. Just It's a prediction of something to come. Now, the prophecy given in Revelation is um, taken two ways. The big, huge debate of how to interpret this prophecy. You can have a literal interpretation of the verses, the chapters, the things given in Revelation, or you can have a figurative interpretation. And so I just wanted to point those out. In case that's uh, a little unsure, but a literal interpretation means you take the words exactly as they're given for what they say. You don't change it. You don't change the mindset. It's what it says is what, you, what it means. However, you keep reading things and you'll say, no, this can't be a literal. It has to represent something else. And so that's what it means by figurative interpretation. And that is the words may or do not mean exactly what they say, but they resent, represent something else. And so the first one, we kind of look at it is face value. This, the, uh, the literal is like face value, but figurative would be uh, what we call a figure of speech. Also wanted to add, if you do not know what a simile is, that is a figure of speech comparing two unlike things that is often introduced by like or as. And a metaphor, I heard that earlier, I happened to think about it, a teacher I think said in Sunday school class, but a metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or phrase literally denoting one kind of an object or idea is used in place of another to suggest a likeness or analogy between them. And I happened to put in there, uh, I put in there a mistake. I read it later, and I'm like, well, it's not a big deal, but it'll bring out the point. As in drowning money, as in... Drowning in money. So I put the word as in there, which maybe shouldn't be. That means it's a simile because it's as something. But if you just take the phrase drowning in money, that's a metaphor. Is a person literally drowning in money? No, they're not drowning. They're not being deprived of oxygen because of the money. It's, 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 it's a metaphor. You're going to see a lot of these in the book of Revelation. Then the next one really jumps into it. Uh, pretty major, I guess you would say, all these terms you hear about people discussing, um, maybe the point of arguing, I have no idea how many conversations would have taken place between mankind in these, uh, in these subjects, but when and how the end times take place, um, you have a postmillennialism, you have an amillennialism, and a premillennialism, and that's an attempt to try to line up the calendar at the end times. So this is very general in that there's probably things that even could be switched around in each of these. When we think of whether you're a a pre or an all is the term they use, like what your mindset would be. But the little blanks with a dash just kind of represents, you you know, you kind of have time and then uh, something happens. Well, in post-millennialism there you say it's time and then all of a sudden you have the church age. And the church age is basically what we have now with the, the church, the New Testament church starting. And then you have a period of time again, and then all of a sudden the second coming. And Christ comes back, and then you have a period of time there, and eternity starts. So that's, that's fairly straightforward for a post-millennialism view. And then the next one, you can just repeat that same, but just trying to help you understand what the, what the line's are. It's basically just meaning you have time, you have a church age, bringing in the millennium, they say those are happening at the same time, if you're an amillennialist, and then the second coming, and then eternity. And then a premillennial, uh, premillennialism would have a little bit of, you have a church age, and then you have a rapture, and you have the uh, second coming and a millennium kind of switched around, uh, different than the amillennial, and so that's where the uh, contention and differences can occur in the view there of of what to do with the millennium. The word is given in Revelation, and it's hard to know what to do with that. So that will help you remember if we start talking about those terms. I don't even know if we will a whole lot, but nonetheless, that's prevalent when you're talking about eschatology. So the four ways to view the book, um, just taking these different commentaries, all had these, so it's apparently something that's been around for a long time. And this is not how the events take place. It's more how you're going to interpret it. So, a pre-terrorist view is most of the events in Revelation have already taken place. And not many of us would really go for that. I We would say there's things in Revelation that didn't happen yet. Okay, So, this view would be, nah, pretty much Revelation took place. Um, we just maybe aren't in eternity yet. So that's a little bit where they would come through. And then the other views, you have like a historicist view, Um, events in Revelation taking place from Patmos to the end of history, or the beginning of church to the second coming of Christ. And that can be a little bit like everything written in the book of Revelation is going to happen from the time when John saw the vision forward into the future, and it doesn't go back any. But that can be debated as well that some of these events took place prior. So it's a little bit of history when things would take place. So, a futurist view the events in Revelation are yet to come, I'm putting that pretty well all in the future. And it will all take place immediately before, at, or after the return of Christ. So everything hinges right around the return of Christ. That's when the book of Revelation is. would be a futurist view. And an idealist view shows or says the events in Revelation are a picture of the conflict of good and evil. And these things are shown in a symbol of spiritual things and probably doesn't care a little bit so much as when, um, as far as viewing it, but they just say these. this book just refers to the spiritual things that are around us that we don't always see or know about. So that is uh, your paper to have. You may uh, do with it whatever you want. It was to give a starting point in case you don't know something or don't understand it, you can always go back to it and look. And also for the numbers of reference that you can, and for myself, that we can go to and... Um, see what some of those numbers mean pretty quick. Okay, so you may turn in your Bible to Revelation, and we will try to go through chapter 1. I really didn't know how to uh, arrange things. It was more, I have notes for chapter 1, may or may not get through them, just because of what's given in here. And there's a lot that is in chapter 1 and some unknowns, but basically, chapter one's pretty straightforward. But to back up a little bit where this came from, a lot of you know I would have been at SMBI. I also took a class in Revelation there at SMBI. And I remember sitting in the book, in the class, Larry Berge was a teacher, and I just had this great idea that Elijah was teaching Greek, and I was taking those classes, and now I'm here in Revelation, and I thought, boy, if I can put these two together, I'll know what the book of Revelation means. And what a, what a faulty idea that was, because the Greek basically just can help explain the words a little bit. It has nothing to do with what the meaning is or the context of what's taking place in it. And so suddenly you just kind of... Fall flat on your face and go, oh, that doesn't work so much. And that was years ago, but I always, always had that in mind, you know. And through studying the word, of like, maybe I, maybe you can understand Revelation a little bit. And it does. There is a lot of stu- word studies that do help understand the context in Revelation, but just because you know what the words mean uh, is not going to be the answer to understanding the Book of Revelation. There is a lot that is. Um, needed when we try to study and interpret, uh, to some extent, the book of Revelation. But I found out pretty quick that studying the Greek, and this was years ago, not just now, but uh, it's not going to explain the prophecies that are given. So one other introduction yet to Revelation is, and I'm not sure if I told you chapter one, but you can turn to chapter 19, Revelation 19, verse 10. So studying through uh, and reading the book, coming across different verses, and it's like, well, how do you do? You start the beginning? Do you start at the end? How to uh, you know kind of go about this? And Revelation 19 verse 10, uh, a phrase here caught caught my attention, and I and I, I was thinking and trying to understand this, uh, what and how it fits all together, and and why it's in uh, 19 instead of 1 doesn't really matter. But Revelation 19.10, and we're jumping right in the middle, I understand. But it says, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, and have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, what does that phrase mean when I read that? You know, it kind of has a, if you want to say a colon there, it says, Worship God, and then it says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, if you start talking about a spirit of prophecy, that can go everywhere and anywhere. given because what for spirit is in this person that's giving the prophecy. And it sets up a foundation for us here that says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we have to hinge all this on the testimony of Jesus Christ. And now if you go, well, let me just keep going here a little bit. I was going to go back to chapter 1. But basically it's we, we know of uh, John uh, receiving what the angel had. And the um, two things that come through there is, is that the angel was the one giving it, and John was the one that was bearing witness of it. Now, in some ways you could say, John had the testimony of Jesus, but the angel had the spirit of prophecy. Now, whether that matters, it's a whole lot not too worried about. It's each one kind of has their place in that. And so what we have today is, first and foremost, we need to have the testimony of Jesus in us. Prophecy does relate to time, either coming or going, re- uh, eternity, hard to comprehend with the human mind. But the fact today that we have is, is that we are put in a realm of reality that is dominated by time. And we cannot ignore the fact that there is past, present, and future. And what I take from this verse is, is that if you are, or if you can give witness and testimony to the work of Jesus Christ. In your life, that gives you a spirit of prophecy. Now, just explain a little bit, spirit of prophecy. We're not going to be able to go out and prophesy things and they're going to come to pass. Back this down pretty far to really, really basic. Does not mean you will be a prophet or you understand the future, but more simply, you can welcome the fact that there is a future and that the things of the future will take place. I call this a spirit of prophecy. And each Christian needs to have that spirit of prophecy. You cannot be a Christian without a thinking. And a believing in future things. That is what I take very basically from a spirit of prophecy. It could be a whole lot more to that, but you think about the testimony of Jesus, and there again we can. Let's. We're soon here headed back to uh, chapter one, in the witness in the testimony. John was with Jesus in the physical sense. He testified, like we would say, that He was there. He witnessed it. We today have that in the same way, except minus the physical part. We have never seen Jesus. But we have witnessed Him. We have His testimony. And so there's, there's a little bit of difference. But basically, we are in the same place that the testimony of Jesus is upon us. If you believe, you take that as a Christian. And therefore, that testimony is the beginning for a spirit of prophecy. Hope that makes sense to you. The purpose of the book, I uh, have it here from uh, a book that was given to me. It's The Mystery of Christ in the Revelation by Ted Byler. He says, The purpose of the book of Revelation is to reveal Jesus Christ and His spiritual kingdom, both on earth and in heaven. And another purpose I have is to give encouragement for us to overcome. You're going to see that through the whole book about overcoming. Especially in the churches, which I, the way it looks, that will probably be for next time. As we look at the messages to the churches. But it talks about overcoming at the, at the end with the judgment. And those that have overcome have rights to God. Some themes that come through is repentance and then worship. Repentance is mentioned in the churches and worship. The the end times will come down to a point and it will be one or it will be the other. You will be one that worships Satan or you will be one that worships God. There will be no in between. And the book just pushes that the whole way through as you see all the, uh, the really hard chapters of the beast and the false prophet and all these things. Worship comes through and there were those that worshipped the beast, the false prophet, the, um, that kingdom, that realm. And there was those that did not. And you, you, you're forced into one or the other. Now it's pretty easy that we do not worship Satan and things become pretty much black and white which, which one you're in. But for simplicity, as you go through the book of Revelation, it's easy to tell who's worshiping what. Like that, that becomes uh, easy to see. So now turn back to chapter one, and we will go down through verse by verse. Like I say, I don't have a whole lot given. I just wanted to be pretty basic. I don't have much as far as in-depth uh, ideas and opinions. I, if you know me, I try to keep those at a minimum simply because who am I to try to say things? Um, I would much rather enjoy standing after church and hashing them out and hearing everybody else's ideas. That, uh, I think, is, is where we could learn from each other in some ways. So to begin in reading, I I think I'm just going to read um, chapter 1, 1 through 8 at this time. So if you follow along. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of all things that he saw, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. So verse 1 begins the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's simply revealing and uncovering who Jesus Christ is. He is the one that's being revealed. How this came about... In verse 1, kind of can be taken a couple different ways. It says, which God gave unto Him. In the one uh, version, and even some commentaries would say that the revelation was given by God to Him, and capitalized, meaning to Jesus Christ. Well, that kind of confuses it for me, and I'm really not sure if that makes much difference. If you want to let your imagination... uh, run just a little bit, you could picture in heaven and the Trinity just it's hard for us to always know how to put these two together but how can I'll just say this God could have revealed to the angels to everything in heaven his son Jesus Christ and made known his works and what in a heavenly realm and so that kind of agrees with what John's seeing he's seeing all this in, in heaven and somewhere else and this revealing which would originally maybe been from God to Jesus Christ when, they, when it took place was now uh, being given to John. There again, was it happening when the you know did uh, when John saw it? Was that actually when was happening in heaven? You you run into trouble. Some of the events you think were past, well, they had to take place already. So it wasn't that time, and some of them might be future. So you can. Uh, you can get caught kind of quick going, well, my mind can't quite catch it. But anyway, it says, which God gave unto him. Ultimately, we know it came, like it says to John, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, John took it from the angel and it, I have down about the, uh, the sent by the angel and signified by the angel. We take it as from God in the angels that are ministers for God have weight behind them. As we know, every time you see an angel saying something in Scripture, it's like you, you don't doubt it because it came by an angel. If it was just something that was given to somebody and you, you weren't really sure how they received it, you would be, you know, yeah, you take it as that. But when an angel delivers a message, it's from God. And that's what uh, is taking place here in verse 1. So in verse 2 it says, Servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all these things that he saw. And that could go two ways. Because John had been with Jesus. And when he, 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 he bare record of the word of God, I, John's the one that, you know, in the word, in the beginning was the word, word was with God, The word was God. He, he knew all these things and he just says, I bear record of the word of God, whether it was what he saw or whether it was in the past, maybe both, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. He knew that Jesus died and had risen And the things that took place in the early church. He knew of those things. But it does say, and of all these things that he saw. And if nothing else, John was simply saying, I personally testify that these things took place. So in verse 3 is where we run into, or we come to the first blessed. So there's seven blessed that we will find in Revelation. This is the first one. Blessed is he that readeth. And if you read, you may be happy because you like to read. Some of you, you read, you might become unhappy because you don't like to read. You could probably take it that blessed is he that readeth, comma, end of it, you know, just that phrase. But I I tend to think it's a little bit more... Of the verse, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So, the comment given in in the from studying in what this verse is is that the blessing is given from one person reading and the rest of you hearing. Goes both ways, it says, Blessed is he that he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. So we have the talking, we have the hearing. And you are blessed if you're doing any of those, I would say. You're blessed if you read it, you're blessed if you hear it, but most importantly, you're blessed if you do them, like it says there at the end, about keeping those things which are written, for the time is at hand. Now when it says the time is at hand, there is... Urgency given behind that, that there is no waiting around. You're not going to wait for something to come. He's saying it's now. We're not going to start reading prophecy 50 years from now. we are just put that on the timeline, and once we get to so-and-so year, all right, preachers need to start preaching prophecy, talking about prophecy. No, he's saying the time is at hand hand for these things now, We need to be reading and and having these things in our mind about what's written in in the book of Revelation. Starting then in verse 4, you have a greeting and you have a benediction, kind of all put together in one. And I read through uh, verse 8, and so there's not a whole lot... Uh, there, it's it's mostly self-explanatory in that John greets the seven churches, which are coming up in the next few chapters. And he just says, "Grace And grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, I don't know other than John is recognizing... God, that was, that is now, and that will be in the future. And if there's anything you can remember out of Revelation, it's that that is who God is. Always was, is here now, and will be in the future. And it's simply easy for us to go, yeah, we just know that. But when the events of Revelation start taking place, will you be questioning that? If God is in control, and God is there, and God is knowing what He's doing... And there's, this is said numerous times about the one who was, the one who is, and which is to come. We read it a couple times, and, and I think that's important. We can't forget that. We've got to remember that. Even though in today, the, the ease of life that we have, it's easy for us to, to, yeah, that God always was. He's now and future. We don't know what will be taking place, and we need to hold to that. Now, what the seven spirits are... That I don't know, what the seven spirits are. Besides the fact he gives later that there is a spirit that is from God that goes out to his churches. And maybe they say about a sevenfold spirit. It's one spirit, it's the spirit of God that goes seven different ways. The question could be is, well, why is it just to seven churches? There was other churches around. Don't know. It's just what's given here that this went out specifically to the, to the seven... Uh, churches, it says those seven spirits which are before his throne. And I am so thankful that we can boldly, and taking it from Hebrews, directly from God, his spirit, that's before the throne of God, if you could picture it there, is among us today. And you almost have to sit there and just let it sink in. It's a privilege. And it's a blessing. It's 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 what we have for life, what we need. And John just starts in here, grace and peace be unto you. Sorry. Grace be unto you and peace from him. And when he talks about him, we have what I said there. And then verse 5, it says and from Jesus Christ and it just lists all those characteristics about him. Washes from our sins in His own blood, hath made us, this is verse 6, and hath made us kings and priests unto Him and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. not sure how fast to keep going. Um, Verse 7 is a reminder of what we already know. Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Even so, amen. And I don't have the reference down, but these things were alluded to earlier in uh, books of the Bible. I, not necessarily Old Testament, maybe Old Testament, but New Testament, I think, um, what's given there. And verse 8 begins words in red. If you have a Bible that starts words in red, then this is taken um, as words of Jesus. Because it says, saith the Lord, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come. The Almighty repeats that. I do want to point out one thing quick. If you don't know what Alpha and Omega means, take your paper, look in the top corner. I Just for the fun of it, you have Alpha. Uh, let me see. The top one is the Greek. A. What we know is uh, the letter A. And that... Is a capital A and a small a. Z is not the end of the Greek alphabet. It is omega, which is given here. That is what they call the letter omicron, and that's a capital and a small. And then just in case you got confused, I simply put the same thing in our alphabet, in the English alphabet, A to Z. But that is um, what is given when it says alpha and omega. It's just referring to the last letter of the, of the Greek alphabet. And he is, the the last word, almighty. He holds sway over all things. He is the ruler of all. So verse 9, we start into uh, John uh, giving how this came about. He reads, actually I didn't uh, read it here. Um, Not real sure how far to go down through. I'm going to read at least to uh, verse 11. It says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice. As of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. This gives where, if you want to say the logistics of it, what was really taking place. John says he was a brother and companion in three areas, in the kingdom, or sorry, in tribulation, in the kingdom, and in patience. Tribulation. He was put there on the isle due to persecution. And it was in about AD 95, the emperor was Domitian or Domitian, and it was most likely because he was a Christian, he was being persecuted in this way for it. And so he was uh, knowing what tribulation was, and he knows what the kingdom was. He was working in the kingdom, and he knew what it takes to have the patience or the perseverance that is part of that. It says the patience of Jesus Christ. So he was on this isle that is called Patmos. It's just a small island, 8-10 miles long, 4-5 miles wide, in the Aegean Sea, about 50 miles southwest of Ephesus, like you're going to know where all that is, but off the coast of modern-day Turkey, and he was there, like I said, because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, and that again was the reason—like persecution because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why he w- was there, because he was a follower. He was, he was um, one of those. And it says in verse ten, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet." Now it says, I was in the Spirit. That's a, a big term there. Um, basically, he was in a state of receiving inspiration. He was in a place of communion with God. And I trust each of you have been there at times when you can just... Nothing distracts you, and all you see is Jesus Christ, and you can just... I'm not sure what the term is for that, but here it would say, in the Spirit. You're communing with Jesus Christ. And it was on the Lord's Day, which we know of as the first day of the week, um, after the Sabbath, what we would call Sunday. That was the day Jesus also rose from the dead. And it says, He heard behind me, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So there it's a little interesting that that's what He heard. He heard something first. He didn't see it. He actually heard the trumpet. And the voice, let me back up. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Any red flags that go up all of a sudden? Was it a trumpet? you got to read real close. It says, as of a trumpet. So now you got your choice. You can choose whether it was literally a trumpet or if it was as a trumpet. This is the type of thing that will take place a lot. And I don't know if it's so much of a, of a matter one way or the other, it just is the limitations that John had, he said, as of a trumpet. And was a trumpet actually saying this? No, it was a voice. He heard a voice, and it was as a trumpet, and it was saying. And I had read it about in there in verse 11. So that is your first uh, simile that you find in Revelation. Verse 11 just repeats Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, but gives instruction to John and says about... Um, Write in a book what you see and send it unto the seven churches that are in Asia. And so uh, in verse 12 then it begins into next section. And I don't have, you can just um, stay with me here for a little bit yet. I'll try to move pretty quickly through this. Uh, I want to read the verses and then just a few comments about them. Then we'll be... uh, have a base understanding of of chapter 1. So verses 12 through um, 20, 20, I guess it is. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were... White like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet dead as dead and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me fear not i am the first and the last i am he that liveth and was dead and behold i am alive for evermore amen and have the keys of hell and of death write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So i just uh, briefly go down through these. I don't have much comment about them. They are uh, somewhat familiar. I just want to point out when this description is given, he turned to see who it was, and he saw, uh, there in verse 12, seven golden candlesticks. And basically, the candlestick is a lampstand. It's what holds the light. And then verses 13 through uh, 15 describe who we see. And it's called, one like unto, there in verse 13, one like unto the Son of Man. Just another interesting phrase of who the Son of Man is. It's capital S. We know it's the Son of God, but here it's called the Son of Man. And the, we know that Jesus was born here on this earth and was a man. And yet it's the Son of Man, just as given. And it described him clothed with a garment down to the foot. Uh, that could have been uh, similar to like a priest was given. And also um, when it says gird about the paps with a golden girdle, the, um, it's the idea of around the chest. They had different things. And we know the high priest also had different Uh, things given uh, spelled in detail in the Old Testament what to wear and so there was um, some similarities between that Um, so when you you read the wording there if you uh, ever wondered what that means that's uh, basically what was around his chest area there and in 14 and 15 just describes more of them and then in 16 it talks about um, and sorry I want to back up just a little bit you note all these phrases His hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. All those descriptions, you can choose whether you take them literal or figurative. Verse 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. It's a continuation, but a few uh, different details about what was with him, and that we see the right hand holding these seven stars. And if we jump ahead in verse 20, we know that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now I don't want to get myself confused here, but that is a very big help to have the explanation given, and you don't have to guess on this one, when it says he's holding seven stars. It says what the seven stars are, and that's that's a big help. Uh, out of his sword went, out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. And his countenance is the sun. Um, John, after seeing this, fell as dead. There again, as dead. We don't know if he was dead or not. Obviously, he was. Um, the angel laid his hand on him, and uh, or whoever it was, I shouldn't say it was an angel. He laid his hand on him, and he said, Fear not, I am the first and last. Uh, in verse 18, he says about he was dead and lives, and I take that to be Jesus Christ. This is who John saw, was Jesus Christ in his eternal state, his condition that he is in before, or sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. This is, this is how John tried to describe him. And he said, Fear not, I am, this is who I am. And he said, Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter, and like I say verse twenty definitely gives us um, the uh, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks or lampstands are the seven churches so in conclusion um, you know to to back up and it's like well what what do we have for this today and i I mentioned a couple of them already, but I just want to um, give you a couple things that uh, challenged me, but then also um, two questions, just kind of a trivial thing, just to see what your ideas may be on that as well. Number one, I stated, prophecy does need to be part of the Christian life. Please don't be one that says, I don't know about it the end times, I don't care about it. Just however it happens, happens. Please don't do that. You may not know what it all means, but you are part of the future as a as a part of the body of Christ, and as the bride of Christ, you're included with that. Don't ignore it. It's part of what's coming for us. And we need to acknowledge that and take to to, uh, to take that and um, to be uh, including this prophecy in our lives. And I also did state about Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. We can, we can hold to that. But then the um, a little more of a Open-ended one. When it says about in verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. My question just simply to you was, are you in the spirit? You almost have to define that yourself. But spirit. For me, I always remember the Greek word for spirit is pneuma. If you, any of you know what a pneumatic tool is, Pneuma means air, and so it's air. And when you think about the properties and how air works, it just seems like that's what the spirit does. You can't see it, you can feel it. You know the effects it gives us life. That's the spirit, in not um, the, what do you call it? A little bit wrong here. The spiritual spirit that like we get, not just air that's around us. Are you in the spirit? And then it says uh, here in my notes, I said to grow in a greater knowledge and understanding of the one that was revealed to us. Is your is your ideas of Jesus Christ limited? And are you able to open your mind up to something new and something greater that is with this revealing of who Jesus Christ is? Because we can just cap it off and go, Yeah, I know who Jesus is. But could you can me can I open my mind to what? And who Jesus Christ really is. You'll have opportunity in the book of Revelation to do that. It is a challenge for us. So now two trivial things. And I, I give these as a means of giving a well-rounded view of Revelation. How to interpret. How the impossibilities will take place. And these, there's just two of them real simple and these came through uh, somewhere somebody comment and i wouldn't have thought about it when we were reading it the one i would have the other one i wouldn't have so just back up to verse seven says behold he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him now i bet a lot of you i don't bet but i i think a lot of you probably wondered how will that take place when jesus comes back to the earth how will every eye see him we live on a round earth at least the best of my knowledge how will everybody see? There's always the dark side, the back side. You can't see. Now, there's lots of theories and opinions that come out of that. But Revelation does that. They'll state things that leave us in a sense of wonder. How, like, how is this going to be? And I think it's good for us to think about some of these things and hold that as a prophetic thing that goes, I can't wait to see how the Lord's going to make this work. And it gives us a, a, it intrigues us with that. How is this going to happen? The other one is in, uh, it's in two verses. So in 16 and 17, it says, and he had in his right hand seven stars. I talked about this before. But did you catch what happened in verse 17? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me. Scripture says he had in his right hand seven stars. And in verse 17 it says, he laid his right hand upon me. Now how can you hold seven stars in your hand? This is in a physical sense we talk about. And then also just lay your hand upon somebody. You know, we go into all those little bits like, well, what happened to the seven stars? Are they still in between? or like Your mind goes... What takes place here in Revelation a lot of times is, is that you, it's that figure of speech and how it's given that you have to leave some of these things open. But I think it's interesting to point out how detailed, and, and that's what I would like to, my, my whole thing with Revelation would be is to zero in on the words that we have and at least try to understand the words that we have, not so much what all the rest of the chapters would mean. And when it talks about that, It just leaves us in marvel that maybe in a physical sense, maybe in a spiritual sense, a little bit hard to know there, but you could maybe go a lot of different ways. But it was to, uh, how can that happen? Um, And there's probably, you know, and me just thinking a little bit of the realm of between the spiritual and then the physical. I don't know how much that goes back and forth. But that is um, one for you to think about. And it just gives evidence or gives uh, acknowledgement again to how great of God we have and then for his son to come through and to be revealed um, it it just is uh, gives us a place of humility and all of who God is and that is all I have I think for the first chapter I don't know if a lot of this can give you a setting or a foundation for the rest of the book, but this is what we have written in chapter 1. And so, uh, I think I'm just going to read the benediction that's given here. Let's all stand for closing prayer. Let's see, it's time to close. And I would like to read verses 4 through 7 as the benediction uh, this morning. And I will begin with grace be unto you, it says there in verse 4 To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of earth shall wail because of Him. Even so, amen.